Well, good deal. Have ten more of those in the second service. So she can stay. I don't care. Let's turn to um, Romans chapter four. We're going to be continuing in our series, going through Romans chapters one through five this year, and um, where we have gotten ourselves so far is we've gotten past the clutter of our having turned our backs on God. We've gotten past the clutter of us trying to work our way back to God to prove to Him that we really are good enough after all. And we've come to the bare foundation, the, the, the stark realization in chapter 3 that there is none of us that's righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Paul has been deconstructing this myth that I can do this by myself, I can be good enough on my own, and now that that has been completely obliterated, now he begins the process of how do we build this thing, how do we move toward a relationship with God. And in order to do that, he takes us all the way back to the very, very first of the father of the faith, the first one that God revealed himself to and said, let's enter into a conversation. He goes all the way back to Abraham and he says, how did this thing work out for Abraham? And in chapter 4, we begin to deal with the introduction of faith. Let's look there in chapter 4. Verses 1 through 12, we'll start in verses 1 and 2 for now. It says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, think about Abraham. How good of a guy was he? Really? Really? Apparently, he had more business integrity than like his grandson, Jacob. He had amassed quite a fortune, and apparently he had done it with some degree of integrity. But when it comes down to it, if you had to choose between riches and relationship, which would you go for? If you had to choose between comfort and safety or relationship, which would you go for? If you had to choose between the, what a stranger thinks about you and what those closest to you think about you, what would you go for? And what did Abraham go for? He went into a situation, there was a situation, they went into the land and he knew that Sarah was a babe, even at that age. And he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. Genesis 12, 13. Tell him that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that li my life may be spared for your sake. He's just thinking of others. It, he's so thoughtful. Listen, just lie to him and tell him you're my sister, and sure enough, the guy comes down there and takes her away, and he's pimping out his wife to save his life and tries to tell her it's really for your benefit. It really, really is that it may go well with me for your sake. Now, he does that not once. He does it twice. <laughs> At least Isaac, who, <laughs> who does it himself, Isaac, his son, who does it also, at least he came by it honestly. And we're in chapter 26. But people talk about they want a biblical marriage. There's your one. What, which marriage do you want? Abraham's? How about Isaac's, where he does the same thing with his wife? How about Jacob, where he has two wives constantly arguing? He's trying to uh, 
figure out which one's his favorite. And on and on we could go with Abigail and her biblical marriage. You want that one? How about David and his biblical marriage? Which biblical marriage do you want? It's harder to find a biblical marriage in the Bible than it is in this building. And that's one of the things I like about the Bible, man. It's just honest. It's just it's just out there. It doesn't gloss over. It doesn't hide. It doesn't lie to us. It just says, this is who God used. And friends, the reality is, when you look at the Bible and you go, oh my, God used them? What? Why the hell did he use me? Because I'm just a people. I'm just a people. That's all I am. And if he used them, dear God, please, use me. So, this is, this is kind of what we're looking at with Abraham. And it says there in verse 2, if, he, if, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now, there is a hypothetical statement, okay? If Abraham was, he has some, that's the hypothetical because he wasn't. We've just seen that. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? Jesus, Jesus said, well, follow all the commandments. And he said, these I've done for my youth. I've followed all of them all the way from my youth. And he still went away brokenhearted because even he, someone who could claim to have abided by all the commandments his entire life, still could not measure up. And Abraham wasn't able to say what the rich young ruler was able to say. But he gives us that the hypothetical situation in verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But <laughs> not before God. Now look, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't check other translations too much. I have the ones I look at and kind of go with that. But on this one, I, I took this verse and I looked through a bunch of different revelation uh, translations. Most of them say, "But not before God." But there's some of them that say things differently. One of them says uh, he would never be able to brag about it to God. I like that. We, we can fool people, but we can never fool God. And don't you want your version of events to line up so closely, so clearly with what God knows the truth to be, that when we get there on that day and we're standing in front of Him and He downloads our brain and every idle word is made to give account for, He doesn't have to lean forward and look at us and say, Now, what were you saying? You want to you clarify anything here? Now, we're all going to see through our filters, and we recognize that. But as long as we recognize that, don't we want to be as careful as virtually possible to be honest about the thing? Because when, when we get there, he'd never be able to brag about it to God. One of them said, but God knew different. Well, that's good. From God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. That's a good one. My favorite, I think, was, but the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. And all of us like to spin it our direction, don't we? But friends, there's coming a day that no matter what we think we have done, there will be no hiding who we really are in front of the one with whom we have to do. Look there in verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this verse is dealing with is in the middle of a situation where David is, dis I mean, uh, Abraham is discouraged. Abraham has gotten discouraged. He's 85-ish years old. Wasn't much hope for a baby with Sarah, his wife. It says in Genesis 18, she was advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I mean, she's old. <laughs> and he's kind of discouraged because he wanted a kid. 
Back up in chapter 15, Genesis 15, he's thinking, well, I guess I'm going to have to give my estate to my, my man Belvedere. He's his valet um, named Eliezer because he doesn't have any kids. Eliezer's a great guy, but wouldn't you rather have a kid to give this stuff to? You know what? So he's getting depressed. But in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, God made a promise to Abraham. He took him outside. Listen. It says he took him outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God made a promise to Abraham. God made a promise that if you can count the stars in another place, if you can count the sands of the sea, how many do you, you know, I know some people like going to the beach. There's therapy for that? There, there's help for those people? I don't like walking on the beach because sand gets everywhere. I was wearing tennis shoes on the beach not too long ago. It goes through my tennis shoes and it's between my toes. And, I, you know, that's not a happy feeling for me. It's everywhere. And God looks at Abraham and said, just like the stars of the sky, just like the sand of the sea, your children are going to be innumerable. They're going to be everywhere. He made a promise to Abraham that's a pretty tall promise to keep, especially when you're the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Now Abraham's an old man too. It's not like he's Picasso or something, you know. But as improbable, as fantastic, as unbelievable as that promise was, the Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed the Lord. And that belief, friends, was all that was necessary. Because after his belief and before he had done anything, before he had done anything, anything to earn it, deserve it, to prove that he's in before he had done anything. He believed the Lord, and it, he counted it to him as righteousness. That's all that was necessary. He believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Apart from the law, apart from works, apart from having any assumption that he could demand anything, Abraham was counted righteous. righteous. Because of nothing more than his belief in God. And here's what Paul's saying. And here's a, it's a totally logical argument. Look at what he says there in verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If I can earn it, then I can demand it. <laughs> if, I can, if I can earn it, then I deserve it. Righteousness is not about works. If we can work for it, then we can demand it. You work for somebody and they don't pay you your check, you can sue them <laughs> because it is your right to be paid. And if Abraham is justified, if we are justified based on works, then we can stand in front of God and say, you owe me this. In fact, I was talking with a guy years ago in a works-based religion, and he, sa he said, he said out loud, you know, it's kind of like, did you mean to say that just inside your head? He said, all the work I've done for God, he owes me this. He owes me to let me into heaven. Wow. Immortal owes the mortal. The ocean owes the dripping faucet. The elephant owes the flea. This is, this is amazing to me. And we can look at, you know, in our hubris, we look at Pluto, and we say, well, Pluto's not really a planet. We've downsized Pluto, you know. I just feel bad for Pluto. 
Then we downsize Pluto, and you know what Pluto does? Doesn't care. Doesn't care. It just keeps right on doing whatever it's doing, whatever it is. Pluto's the same it was a 1,000 years ago, and here we are 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, and we're going to say, well, we're downgrading Pluto now, as if we really, as if we really matter. And Pluto just sits out there and wonders, oh, what next? It doesn't care. And friends, as little as Pluto cares about your opinion, whether it's gaseous or solid, God cares even less <laughs> about our thinking that we can demand something from him. It's just one more reason for him in, uh, in Psalm chapter 2 to sit in the heavens and laugh. Here is the chasm between our attempts and God's provision. We try to be righteous, and he declares us righteous. Not because we've earned it, but because he is just so amazingly good. Look there in verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And here's how David expressed it in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We know what had happened with, with David. He committed adultery, covered his sin, he committed murder. There are two Sins in the Old Testament for which there's no sacrifice. It is a death penalty. Would you like to guess which two they were? He's committed both of them. And he comes to God in Psalm chapter 51. He says, look, I did it. I blew it. He said in 51, 16, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. See, there it is. He knows there's no sacrifice for this. If there were a sacrifice, I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. There's no sacrifice for what he's done. And now all that remains is God's mercy. All that remains is God's cleansing. And so he prays, Psalm 51, 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now, you know what? Okay, David, the Bible says you did this in secret. I'm going to make an example of you in front of all the people. Now, as with any leadership, there were people in Israel who did not like David. Imagine that. So when they find out, when God says, I'm going to deal with this in front of all the people, what do you think the response of his enemies was? Oh, good. I am so sick of that guy. If he is on television one more time, man, they're, like, they're thinking, oh, we've got a death penalty coming here, baby. And they were public back then, you know. Then he's forgiven. He's forgiven. And, and these verses 7 and 8 are quoting out of Psalm 32, which was written after Psalm 51. It's, it's David's response to the forgiveness he asked for in 51 and received, and now he's talking about this is really wonderful. And they see that he's forgiven. I wonder what those people thought. Oh, there are two standards. There are two standards here. One for the important and one for the not-so-important. One for the common and one for the royal. And you know what? There are. And here's God's invitation. 
if you come, please, just come. Come, and I'll make your role model. Come, be a part of the family. Come, and I will include you. I'll make you a son of God. I'll make you a daughter of God if you'll just, if you'll just come. And David said, I'll do it. And the message of the gospel has been the same all the way through. There is forgiveness for those who will just come to the Father. Romans 8, 15, 17. If you want to turn there, you can. He talks about it. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and follow heir, fellow heirs with Christ. The, I, the <laughs> we cry, I recognize he's my father. He is Abba, Father. You realize over in Galatians 4, verse 6, it says that the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. What happens is the Holy Spirit comes and he puts his arm around our shoulder and he taps on us and says, look right over there. There's your daddy. There's your daddy. Abba, Father, right there. And he does this until such time as it's no longer the Holy Spirit having to point him to us. Now we recognize. Now we recognize. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now I know who my daddy is. Friends, forgiveness is available to anyone who will come in faith and just receive it. It's not by your goodness, because all of our goodness is as filthy rags. And, and we continue to argue. This is, the, this, is the <laughs> this is the egotism of humanity. We continue to argue. Well, let me just clean up a little bit. Let me clean up just a little bit. There's no cleaning up. If all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, we're not going to improve on this situation any. And look at who it says in verse 5. Who does God justify? Look there in verse 5. To the one who does not work but trusts him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Who does God justify? Those who, in faith, recognize they are the ungodly. Oh, well, I'm too ungodly for God. You know what? You hadn't invented some new kind of sin that slipped up on God. God didn't look at you sinning and go, wow, really? Didn't see that one coming. He delights in cleaning up, in taking the worst there is, the most ungodly on the block and saying, that one I'm going to change. And the word works and justify are both in that same verse there in verse 5. And we think we have to get them in that order so we can prove and demand and earn our salvation as if we had in verse 2 something to brag about. So we have these two, works and righteousness. Which came first? Works and righteousness. Which came first, chicken or the egg? Chicken is in the dictionary first, so that might help that argument. Which comes first, works or righteousness? And that's what Paul is about to outline for us here. Look in verse 9. Is this blessing? What blessing? What blessing is he talking about? He's talking about the blessing of verses 5 through 7. Look in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works, 
the blessing of being declared righteous is this blessing? Verse 9, only for the circumcised? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteous. And how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, we start hearing that word. How many of you just go, boo? You know, tell you what, we, we have to be careful as the church. If we do not define sexuality and a proper approach to it, culture will. And that's exactly what we have going on in our culture now. If we don't define it, the culture will. That's why several years ago we taught through the book of Song of Solomon and dealt with the marriage relationship and what sex is supposed to look like. And when we come to this passage, we kind of shiver. And I did grow up in a culture where they still drape cloth around the legs of the pianos because we don't want them young boys getting any crazy ideas, you know. Did you know there is a college, there's a university in this country, in this country today, that still requires tablecloths on all tables all the way down to the floor to cover the legs. Christian college. That's the kind of culture I grew up in. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's nonsense, I get it, but that's where I kind of came from. And, you know, I do have to ask, how did I get both of these passages? Four weeks ago, I got the one that has the word circumcised, and I'm sorry, 10 times in 113 words. Today we have it 10 times in 129. How did I get both of these? And Kevin said, it's because I carry a pocket knife. I'm not I'm not going to stop carrying a pocket knife, so here we go. And for those of you who think visually, I apologize in advance. So here we are. Circumcision was a work. It was a work performed by the Jews to prove they were a part of the covenant. It is work. It is something that they could perform. And Abraham performed this work now the question is when did he work when did he perform this work when did he perform this work in relationship to the pronouncement that he was righteous was it before or after the pronouncement of righteousness look there in verse 10 how then was it counted to him was it before or after he had been circumcised it was not after but before he was circumcised he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Abraham was declared righteous in Genesis 15 when God said, look at the stars, if you can number them, that's how many kids you're going to have. He believed God and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous based simply on one criteria, that he believed God and that was counted to him as righteousness. 
This is an accounting term. It was accredited to him. It was counted to him. This is an accounting term. It was used to describe our standing before God. It's an accounting term that describes being placed in the column of, being credited to the account of. In the King James Version, it's translated, reckoned it so, which proves that Paul was from the south, I reckon. But we were out paying our doctor's bill one time for our first kid was being born. We were paying the doctor out, you know. And we went in to pay the bill that week, you know. And when we got there, they said, yeah, it says paid in full. I said, well, it ain't paid in full. Okay, I'm the guy that would have paid it, and I hadn't paid it. They said, no, it's paid in full. Somebody came in last night with a pile of cash and said, here's this money. What? Credit this to the account of this. And God looked at us, and he credits righteousness to us. He places us in the column of the righteous. It's just exactly what Dave does with the money around here. He has so many columns and money scattered in so many thousands of rat holes. It's like a, a squirrel with nuts in a thousand trees, you know. He credits that money to that column. And when Abraham believed God, God credited to him. He credited Abraham into the column of righteous. And this word is used 41 times in the Bible. 11 of them are in this chapter, and 8 of them are in our passage for, the, for today. So Paul is letting us know, this is a big deal. How do you get righteousness? How do you get it? Can you earn it by the works of his illustration here, circumcision, or is it credited to you? Is it a gift that's given to you? How do you get it? And he stresses over and over. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The circumcision was a work which was done to prove they had accepted the terms of the covenant. Circumcision was done after this on a baby when they're eight days old, and just like some denominations today, baptize babies. Baptize them to say that the parents are going to take the responsibility, and we believe that, the, that this is a household salvation situation, and we understand it. We don't agree with most of what they're saying there, but, but Abraham, in his statement, verse 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Because circumcision is the work, and righteousness is the goal which produces which. The Bible says in Genesis 15 that he was credited, counted righteous. He was about 85 years old. And then it tells us over in chapter 17 how old he was when he was circumcised. 99. <laughs> and his son was 13. Oh, holy night. We're talking about a part of the body that you don't even like having zippers with interlocking metal teeth near. That's why they wore robes. <laughs> and here somebody comes with a knife that's made out of metal or a stone. And Abraham's 99 years old, and the work, of, the work of circumcision did not cause Abraham to become righteous. It was a sign 
of his righteousness. It was a sign he had already accepted the covenant. He was already counted as righteous. Righteousness does not follow works. Works will follow righteousness. And the only way to be righteous is to have it credited to your account by one who has the means and authority of entering it into the ledger book. But listen, once it has been genuinely entered, credited to your account, once it has been genuinely entered into the ledger book, it will cause your conduct to change and express itself in works. Works cannot produce righteousness, but if there are not works, you don't have righteousness. Righteousness will produce works. You've seen the the bumper sticker that says, faith works hard. (laughs) Oh, I believe God. Then get up and do something. (laughs) How many of them believe that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? He told them, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Now, here's what I want you to do. You go move the stone. Why didn't they look at Jesus and say, you know what? If you're about to raise the dead, you can move that rock. I think you can swing for that one, buddy. No, you, you get up and do something. Act on it. Friends, works do not produce righteousness, but righteousness will produce a change in our lifestyle. And if you, got, if you made a decision and walked down the aisle when you were seven years old, but your life doesn't look like it, if you think that giving tithe or going to church or being nice or dropping the dollar in there or handing it to the guy on the street corner is going to get you any credit points with God, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. Because works do not produce righteousness, but righteousness will produce works. Friends, if maturation does not follow the birth, there's a problem. If you're feeding a six-month-old and they're hitting the spoon and throwing food all over the kitchen, that's cute. If they're six years old and you're still feeding them and they're still swatting the spoon, that's not cute. We need to have something looked at here. While works cannot produce faith, faith which does not produce works is no faith at all. God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, and Abraham believed God and was instantly counted righteous. But listen, Abraham's belief was not the only thing necessary to prove he had faith. There's still something else that he had to do in concert with his faith in order to prove the promise of God. And that, while Sarah was advanced in years and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Do you realize that when a 99-year-old man went in and had relations with his wife, that was as much an act of faith as it was relationship. The works of faith followed his counted being righteous in Genesis 15 when he went in and had relations with Sarah and she became pregnant. Friends, it's not about how much you witness, how much you share, what clothes you wear, if you, if, you, if you wear the approved clothing, if you vote for the approved candidate in the approved party. doesn't matter about any of that. Those works do not affect our salvation, but our salvation will affect our works. And just like the body in James chapter 2, the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. 
Friends, that's why he said we need to examine ourselves. If we would judge ourselves, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, I think it is, if we would judge ourselves, we would not need to be judged. It's right to look at ourselves and say, dear God, where am I at with this? And here's the work of God. Here's the work of God manifest in our lives, boiled down to three words. It will produce real life transformation. There will be genuine, practical change of who we are. He will continue the work that he began. He'll bring it to completion. And that real life transformation will be expressed in real life multiplication. It will be transforming us and used as a means of transforming the world around us. So the question is, is transformation taking place in your life? Is there a change being made of who you are into who he is? And if there's no transformation, it's right to ask yourself if you actually have a relationship with God. It says in Hebrews 12, it's out of Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, because the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Oh, life's so hard, God must be mad at me. No, he might just be straightening his back sometimes, and that's okay. Now, let me take this one step further before we close. Circumcision was the outward evidence that they had inwardly believed God and had been counted righteousness. It was an outward act to show an inward commitment. And the closest sign we have under the new covenant to show the circumcision of the heart, according to Romans chapter 2, closest outward sign we have of it today to show an inward commitment is baptism. Just like circumcision followed Abraham's faith, baptism is to follow the commitment of our lives to follow Jesus Christ. It's called believer's baptism for a reason. It is a sign that the believer has made the decision, the choice, the determination. My life does not belong to me, and I'm going to make this public declaration I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. And there are some who are going to argue that you need to be baptized immediately, and I get that. I understand that. And I have baptized a lot of people immediately, and I have baptized a lot of people before they were ready to be baptized, before it was their statement that they are going to follow Jesus. Listen, I got saved five or six years old. I was baptized not long after that. But ten years later, when I finally came to a place where I began to understand this thing, where I just began, to understand the responsibility, the personal responsibility of personal acceptance, personal commitment, I was baptized again. Because it's my statement that I have accepted the covenant. I will live by the terms of the covenant. I, we, did, we had five kids. We didn't baptize our kids young, young except for one of them. We had a baptism service going on, and he came to us and just kept going. He'd been talking to us about it for months, and I'm not baptizing kids. You know, it's mine. And... <coughs> No, I'm not doing it. And they kept, I, I want to do this. I'm ready to make this commitment. We baptized one of our kids as a child. And the one that we baptized as a child, I'm glad we baptized him as a child. And I'm so thankful for that. He was serious. He meant it. He, he meant it to the best of his understanding. And the four that we did not baptize as children, they're glad they waited. And I'm glad they waited. Because that's what they needed in order to be able to say, this is my commitment. It took Abraham 14, 15 years to go from 
faith and righteousness to the sign of the covenant of circumcision. And if it takes a little bit of time, that's okay. But friends, it is right, it is right to give the public declaration of baptism that I am committed to this thing. Friends, if you're trusting in going to church a few times a year, a few times a month, to prove how spiritual you are, if it's about supporting the kid in Africa, handing the guy at the stoplight a dollar, if it's not about, I'm just not going to cut off that lousy driver who just gave me a hard time. If that's all it's about, then you need to test to see if you really are in the faith. Because, friends, the good works are not what lead to righteousness. Righteousness will produce good works. But if you're trusting on your goodness, you're trusting on sinking sand. And it will not last. Here's the entire gospel. Here's the entire gospel. Three words. Jesus, everything he said could be reduced to three words, and they are these. Come, follow, and go. That's it. Come to me. They're all Christ-centered. Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Follow me, Mark 1, 17. I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Go for me, Matthew 28, and make disciples of the whole earth. That's it, those three words. Come, follow, and go. And we sit here and think, oh, well, I want to go, 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 and I'll prove how spiritual I am. But, friends, the work of go follows the submission of follow and the submission of follow, follows the faith of just come. Come to me. And that's the invitation of Jesus. If you've not come to Jesus, won't you just come to him today? Won't you just come to him and say, I did it. I broke the law. I broke your law, and I'm sorry. I've trusted in my own works. I've tried to be good, and I just can't be good enough. I'm sorry. I just want to come to you today. If you're a Christian here this morning and you recognize I've been blowing it, I've been blowing it. And when I get to that, when I get to that day and he, we start looking at every idle word, I don't want him looking at me saying, would you like to say that differently? I want to get things right now. Because if we would judge ourselves, we would not need to be judged. Jesus looks at you just like he looks at the rest of us and says, won't you just come to me? All of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That is the promise. Would you just come to Jesus? Listen, we have folks that are willing to pray for you. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, don't, don't hesitate. Come and ask them to pray. And they'll, they'll pray with you out of the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the invitation, dear God, to come. God, thank you for the love that you have for us, that not only did you invite us to come to you, but you invited us to live with you as well. You said, follow me and I'll teach you. So, Father, we want to come to you well. Dear God, please be glorified in Jesus' name.
divine won't you come to the water won't you come to the river of life come to the mouth of the fountain Jesus the Savior divine. Though you have nothing to spread for his table, though years of labor have all been in vain, he will exalt you in kindness and mercy, Jesus. The Savior divine, why don't you come to the water? Won't you come to the river of life? Come to the mouth of the fountain, Jesus. The Savior divine. Stand with me and sing this last verse together. Come, everyone, with a heart of repentance. Seek after him while he yet may be found. Though you have wandered in sin, he will cleanse you, Jesus Savior divine, won't you come to the water? Won't you come to the river of life? Come to the mouth of the fountain, Jesus. Savior divine. Amen. Amen. The sweetest invitation we can possibly have that Jesus wants us, <laughs> the creator of the world, with the Father created the world, and he wants us to come to him, to enjoy him, and to walk with him all our days. If you are in that place where you are kind of trying to figure out who Jesus is, let us help you. He will come and walk with you through everything in life all your days. Let us help you with that. we got prayer people around the, the worship center. We'd love to help you with that. But this thing of walking with Jesus is a long journey. I turned to our staff here uh, a couple weeks ago, and I said, where do you need to repent today? <laughs> right? That's a thing to ask the staff, and we all have some things we need to repent of, and that's true. We all need to grow in our following of Jesus. And so if you are in a place in your journey where you just need a little help, a little counsel, some people to pray with you, let us do that. It's a long journey to become what Jesus wants us to be. We'll never get there entirely until we see him face to face. But it's a good journey, and it's filled with all kinds of him inviting us to come and walking with him. Now, let's, let's be those kind of people that keep growing in Jesus. Now, one other announcement I just want to make here before we close this morning. we got Vacation Bible School on the horizon, which means summer's on the horizon. Isn't that great news? Woohoo! So here it is. There's some training this Saturday, March 23rd, 9 to noon. There's brochures in the lobby area. Grab one. Come be a part of our VBS this year. We'd love to see you training this next Saturday. 
So with that, let's go in God's grace. Let's pray and watch. Let's pray for our neighbors and look for opportunities to be a blessing to them and maybe even speak the words of the gospel to them. And let's be a bright light for Jesus this week. Have a great week.